So as long as it's fair, as long as it's voluntary, inequality is fine. Inequality is great. We want those who succeed to be more rewarded than those who destroy value. But in the sense of our current environment, we have really sinister inequality. If everybody, you know, if, if the water's flowing and everyone is benefiting, right? Everyone's cup is filled. Um, people are happy, right? They have better things to do than to line up outside of someone's house and threaten to chop their head off. You know, I, I don't think we should be setting up guillotines anywhere. And that's, that's why I love Bitcoin. It's the peaceful revolution, right? Um, but why do people want to set up these guillotines? Because they know the system isn't working. It started to make a lot of sense to me that if we fixed money, we fixed so many problems in society. And so as a technology person, I was like, what should I be working on that's more important than this? this is, there's nothing more important than this. Hello and welcome to Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. Today I have on Isaiah Jackson, the author of Bitcoin and Black America. In this conversation, we talk about a wide variety of topics. Um, we touched a lot on uh, race and the racist history of banking um, and monetary policy in the U.S. Uh, and he presented some really interesting solutions to it and using Bitcoin and it was a really fun conversation I learned a lot from him and you know I read his book and I highly suggest it to anybody if you don't know about the history of racism in the banking sector this is a really really good place to start uh, so yeah and we're recording welcome Isaiah to the Tucson Bitcoin podcast so for anybody that doesn't know who Isaiah is, you have to go and get the book, uh, Bitcoin in Black America. Um, and he's also the host of the Gentleman Crypto podcast. Um, so that's another good place to check his work out. But yeah, what, what inspired you to uh, write this book? Uh, so, you know, being in the Bitcoin space, uh, one of the biggest things I saw was uh, lack of diversity and in my community, I feel like we really need Bitcoin. Um, so I wanted to write the book just to sort of put a signal out there that Bitcoin is for everybody. And if we're going to have mass adoption at some point, uh, the black community has to be involved. And I would love to see everyone who wants to see a difference in economic system uh, get into Bitcoin. But this is just my contribution uh, to my, my community. Awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, it's been well received from what I've seen so far. Um, what, what have been the reactions to the book? Um, pretty much positive. Um, I, I was kind of bracing myself for the negative reactions <laughs> may have, uh, overstated, but pretty, pretty positive. I think, um, big on the Bitcoin side, Bitcoin people like it because it does have the information to get started. Then for novices, no coiners, people who are in this space, it's great because it's easy to digest. Uh, and it also gives solutions that pretty much anybody can use. Uh, however, it does narrow in on the black uh, community specifically, but you can mirror that across uh, different groups. So it's been uh, received pretty good and the, uh, the feedback has been great. Um, that's why I'm glad the second book is coming out because it's even more information. Yeah. So what, what is the second book going to be about? Oh, yeah. So uh, Bitcoin and Black America, the second edition um, is seven new chapters. Uh, even more blockchain uh, professionals uh, write about more countries 
uh, because as a Black American, a lot of uh, a lot of my, uh, my friends and even family members are abroad. So writing about countries that are uh, predominantly Black because Bitcoin can be used globally, that's a great thing. Uh, and then with some of the events in 2020, I uh, wanted to hit home on how Bitcoin can be used for the future. Uh, Bitcoin, as opposed to asking for reparations, uh, talking about Bitcoin and legacy with marriage and kids, a whole lot of uh, subjects I didn't touch in the first edition, uh, sort of a step up. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh, with the instability of money in Africa, uh, specifically, uh, Bitcoin definitely has a huge uh, potential to grow there and really bring a lot of people out of poverty in some pretty f phenomenal ways. Like, I mean, the, the classic example that I hear a lot of hyperinflation and bad management of government is Zimbabwe, you know, and for that to have a stable currency would be a game changer. Um, one of the, I mean, the chapter that I found most striking, and I've heard you talk about it um, being one of the better received chapters was the um, Buck the Fanks um, <laughs> chapter. Um, yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I found really, I find really interesting um, as I've done a lot more research on uh, history of like racism in America is um, there's a really strong movement of people that argue that institutional racism isn't real. Why, why do you think there's so many people that are arguing that? Um, miseducation and the uh, suppression of information from the sources that they need to find. Um, I think when people think institutional racism doesn't exist in the economic uh, field, I think that's laughable simply because uh, we have proof, we have uh, plenty of, of data uh, describing otherwise. And, you know, one example I like to use is, have you seen the show Watchmen uh, mm -hmm. that came on? So Watchmen, the opening scene, first show, it showed Black Wall Street in Tulsa, and it showed it being burned down by white people uh, back then. And there were a lot of people online that were saying, why would you show that scene? Because that's not real. That, that's just going to strike up fear. And then people were like, that actually happened. And that to me just blew my mind because I was like, I've, I've known that for years. And there are millions of people who were arguing against that opening scene because they thought it, would, it was race baiting or trying to get something going. It's like, no, that actually happened. And economically, that was just one example of a flourishing black community. There were dozens around the U.S. I write about uh, almost all of them in the new book, and they were burned to the ground. Uh, they were breaking mortar businesses, jealousy, whatever. They, it was taken away. But the reason I write about Bitcoin is because you can't burn down Bitcoin. Uh, so I think institutional racism exists. Uh, however, um, the root of it is the Federal Reserve and the spark of what creates that diversion between classes, between races, is the fact that our money is broken and everybody is basically just scrounging to get what they can. They'll find an excuse to get it whatever they can, but when the money is free and everybody's open, that excuse is gone and we can have a more open society. Yeah. Um, for people that are kind of unaware of um, issues of racism in our country, what are some good resources for that? I, I point people a lot of times to the book, The New Jim Crow. That's one of my um, favorites and then your book as well. Um, but yeah, what are some good resources that you'd point people to? Uh, I would say Powernomics. Um, is one of the, the uh, best books out by Dr. Claude Anderson um, that describes sort of the power dynamics uh, in, uh, in black economics and seeing how institutional racism existed. Uh, I would even say so far to go into basic economics by Thomas Sowell. 
uh, doesn't necessarily hit on the racism part per se, but when you see the disparity between numbers, you can say, hey, this is, this is a real thing. And, and this is a famous economist, uh, black economist who is writing about this and doesn't choose sides. He just writes the facts. So I think those are two great, great resources to, uh, to learn more. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so going back to the Federal Reserve, that's, that's an issue I talk about quite a bit on the podcast. Uh, what do they do that leads to inequality and racism? So the inflation-based economy that we have now uh, was created by the Federal Reserve uh, in 1913, which it was formed uh, by a group of very wealthy people who wanted to ensure their survival and their wealthiness over time. Uh, just for kickers, they happened to be white and they did not really care about any black plight at the time. You got to think this was 1913. Yeah. Very different time period, very different mindset. So it, it wasn't even a thought. So when I tell people a lot of the racism that's in the industry now uh, was from before, it was simply because it was built to keep poor people down and that's where black people were at that time. Um, and then the racism, of course, came along with it with the infighting. So uh, the Federal Reserve started there. And over the years, our dollar has decreased over 99%. And because of that, uh, somebody said a great quote is when the US has a cold, uh, the black community has a flu. Uh, and basically what that means is when something's going bad with us, aka our money, the black community it hits us even harder. So the Federal Reserve's hmm. basic, uh, <clears throat> they're, they're, you know, mess up in this whole situation. Uh, is creating bad money and then using uh, the media and other resources to have that infighting and racism amongst regular working everyday people. Because you can have two poor people, black and white, arguing, and you're like, well, you're both poor because of the Federal Reserve. And then that fighting comes as a result of not having the resources. So, uh, yeah, they've basically been pulling the strings uh, behind what we see now, but that curtain's being lifted. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, uh, I, I think that's an issue ultimately is that um, these institutions, when they're built by people that have racism and biases, it's, it's going to uh, filter into the policies. And so, um, and it, what inevitably happens is like, even if new people come along that don't have that same sentiment, they kind of repackage it and kind of continue the legacy of it. Um, and yeah, the inflation, I mean, it's just been like, it, if you really like break down what's been done to the black community in our country, it's pretty wild. So one of the things that I found really, really interesting about your book was you listed examples um, that happened in like the last 20 years of banks uh, uh, being found in court that they were practicing uh, practices that were discriminatory. And it's like every single big bank, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan. Yeah all the main offenders. Um, so I, I, I would point people that, that say that institutional racism isn't a thing to that. Um, so I, I just wanna re read a quote from this that I found uh, really uh, good. Um, well, I mean, there's so many that I could pull out of this book, but here you say, I propose that we build our foundation of social change and protest by steadily moving our funds out of the banking system. The only way to hurt the banks is to disrupt their cash flow and profits. So how does how do how does Bitcoin like fit into all of this? Um, yeah. So um, what I meant by that statement is, in order to have leverage in any business discussion, you have to have 
something that will take away either their power or their money, so to say. And um, if we're talking about they, as in the banks, um, moving your money into Bitcoin is the best form of peaceful protest. Taking your money out of the banking system into Bitcoin, uh, using using on ramps that may or may not necessarily connect to banks, um, that to me is moving away from the system, so to say. And until we start to do that or have some sort of leverage that way, I don't think we can have any discussions that will actually change the black community. And in a microcosm, I want people to remember when the George Floyd events happened, how many large corporations did an about face on uh, black social change and all of a sudden everything was, yeah, Black Lives Matter, yeah, black people eat for free, whatever. It was just like, where did this come from? Because they were saving face so that they could continue making money. And I tell people, I was like, that was that's a sliver of what Bitcoin can do. Because imagine if, okay, instead of that being the catalyst for you to maybe change your business ways, what if the entire money system changes? Because we're saying, hey, this system has treated us wrong. We're moving towards Bitcoin. Now you have a over a trillion dollars worth of spending power moving out of your system. That would change a lot of minds as well. So uh, that's basically what I meant by that. And that uh, the black community out of anybody in the U.S., we really don't owe banks anything. Don't you need no allegiance to bank. There's nothing they've done that has actually helped us uh, long term. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Bitcoin's a pretty uh, viable alternative. Uh, what, one of the things that I've been surprised about um, in my research is learning that a lot of uh, black owned businesses operate on a cash only basis and are actually unbanked or underbanked. Um, do you think that's going to be an issue uh for the black community as we move away from physical cash? Um, at first, yes, I've already seen it started where people, I've seen people in neighborhoods where I grew up in, in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, post office, uh, a couple gas stations where people try to pay with cash and they're like, we don't take it and they're just stuck. They're just like, what do you mean you don't take cash? It didn't even register to them that one day they could just say, no, we don't take cash ever. Um, so I think in the black community, I think that is, going to be an issue at first. However, with the uh, massive onboarding uh, explosion we've had where you can basically buy Bitcoin from anywhere, Bitcoin mm -hmm. ATMs, peer-to-peer -peer trading uh, at different conferences. I think when we start to see Bitcoin cryptocurrency, maybe even CBDCs get to a point where people are knowledgeable about them, about them, the dollar itself won't seem as important. But I still think cash is king. It's still a great way to stay private. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, that is being taken away. But uh, we have to adapt, and I'm trying to help push that push that along, so we won't just be at the the back learning too late, like before. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's good. Wait, one of the things that uh, you talk about is creating a circular economy where the money stays in your community. Um, that's something that I'm really passionate about because Tucson's a city that is just like wrecked by poverty. We have like a quarter of the city living under the poverty line. Um, and it's probably only gonna get worse from COVID uh, and the wealth disparity is gonna grow um, with all the money printing and the job shutdowns and, and, and stuff like that. Um, so what, when, what is a circular economy and, and how do you create that and protect that? Oh yeah, so the backbone of a circular economy is uh, small businesses or are small businesses. Uh, when you have small businesses that can establish themselves um, making profit and hire people in that same community, uh, what you have is sort of what I saw in L.A., uh, living in L.A. Uh, you have Chinatown, Koreatown, uh, Little Armenia, uh, you have Little Ethiopia. 
you have these brick and mortar stores where everybody supports each other. They hire each other's kids, their kids that, or when they make money from college or, or from businesses, they send their kids to college to get skills to improve their business. So they become lawyers, they become business managers. All of this is part of what is called a circular economy. And with a digital currency like Bitcoin, that is possible outside of the current system we have. Because when you're using the dollar to have a circular economy, which we've seen before, that's possible. But if you start to purchase manufactured goods with Bitcoin uh, from companies and then uh, you sell your goods for Bitcoin, people can spend Bitcoin, people earn it uh, as they work, that creates sort of a circular economy. Um, and I don't want people to think this happens overnight. This could take 10, 20 years for it to, to come to fruition. Um, but it is something that if we start now, you have the, the mechanisms in place to make it work. You have the accounting, you, you know about crypto taxes, you know, things that people are going to be catching up on in the next five to 10 years. I feel like people can, can learn it now and have that circular economy today. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so like, we're we're right at the beginning of what a lot of people are talking about is like a major bitcoin bull run and uh what inevitably happens during times like this is people uh gain interest and move into the space for the first time how do we protect people from getting scammed well people like you and i who give out information via podcasts via shows educational resources um we have to step to the forefront and as a community, keep calling out scammers. I mean, uh, Bitcoin is probably the only financial community where you see thousands of people basically say, hey, this guy's scamming, don't deal with him, blah, blah, blah. And the community kind of pushes them out. So continuing doing that. Um, I mean, I did a talk about scams in the, the space in Chicago last year around this time. And one of the things I said was, in order to, to stay away from scams, you have to find trusted resources. And it's kind of hard because there's no degree <coughs> sorry certification so to say uh you kind of have to go with what uh with what people say and and do your own research is very big but in order to stay away from that just know the basics and uh, follow the people that have been here through it all because like you said 2017 how many people had a youtube and crypto show just overnight and they were experts in in two weeks uh same thing in 2013 the first big bull run i saw uh, past a thousand all of a sudden people had shows and everybody knew how to trade every asset. So it was, it was crazy. So same thing this time around, see who's been here through it all. Like, uh, you know, myself, I'm, this is the third bull run I'm, I'm supposedly or going to go through. So uh, I've also been through two bear markets. So uh, stick with people that are, you know, basically here for the long haul and you should be good. Stay yeah. and don't send anybody Ethereum. Nobody's going to send you any back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a, a huge one. Um, we have a lot of these uh, larger tech platforms either knowingly or unknowingly facilitating scams. Uh, like just, I've seen so many YouTube ads of, yeah, the send me money. I'll send you. Yeah. It's, it's silly. I mean, it's like the, uh, the Nigerian prince needs your help or whatever. Um, it's the <laughs> yeah, same. Send exactly. me a thousand and I'll send you a million. Yeah. So one of the things you talked about earlier, and kind of want to circle back to it. So a lot of there's been a lot of uh, institutions uh, kind of jumping on the social justice train and embracing things like Black Lives Matter. Um, uh, but I, I what 
what I kind of see that is, is it's, it's a way to virtue signal without creating any real change. Um, yeah. You talk about Bitcoin being the best form of protest. What, do, why, why is that a better form of protest? Um, so to address the first point, I agree with you there. I've, it was so much virtue signaling. There's so many companies who really don't care anything about the black community, but it was a good time to have that message. And here we are. Um, the thing about uh, peaceful protest is if you can basically move your money out of the system that we have now from the comfort of your home, from your phone, from your laptop, and basically make a stand that I am holding this asset because I want to see a better economic future, I think that is the best form of peaceful protest that you can do. Um, other protests that are peaceful, such as marching, um, have happened for dozens of years. And over different decades, we're at maybe the third or fourth generation of marches um, where going into the street simply has not changed much. Now, I understand the frustration. I understand where people are coming from when they do it. But I'm a data guy. Uh, I'm all about the results, the bottom line. What have we gotten because of that? And in my opinion, nothing much has changed. The median value of uh, Black community in America is the same since the 60s. So hmm. all of the marching wow. in between then, all of the all of the signs, all of the yelling, all of that has, I don't want to say done nothing. Maybe it helped your spirits. Maybe, you know, it got you, you got your foot in the door. But uh, from an economic standpoint, it has not helped at all. So if you can sit in the comfort of your home and, and slowly just move your savings to a better system like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and say, hey, at some point I'm leaving the current system we're in to, to live in a better world, that's a better, more peaceful process to me. You also take money out of, the war machine. Most people don't understand. The more money you have in there, uh, that's being pushed back to taxes. You're just funding the war machine, not really doing anything to help yourself uh, with the fiat currency we have now. Yeah, yeah, that that's a big point. Jimmy Song was on the podcast uh, last week, and he talked about that as far as like the the reason why we have these forever wars and such large scale wars is that the governments have a money printer that fund all their killing and uh if you take that away they have to actually go to the people to raise money to do what they're doing and uh that's very unpopular and difficult to do so it limits their ability to do crazy stuff mm -hmm. like go into countries that people have never heard of and bomb people with drones um but uh yeah yeah it's um unfortunately yeah so when you say that a lot of things haven't changed, so we talked about racism and banking and, and the Fed. Uh, what, what other institutional issues do you see that haven't changed since the big civil rights movement in the 60s? Um, so I think socially, <clears throat> we have seen changes. Of course, there were, you know, whites only places. There were people that went through getting beat, getting spat on, dogs not being admitted in colleges. We've seen all of this stuff before. So I think socially, yes, we have seen those changes. The problem is socially we can get along, but for some reason, whenever the economics comes up, when people start talking about money, there's a disconnect between the black community and mainstream. Because at any point during our, you know, 400 years being here, uh, the only times there have been literal war and death killing of, of black Americans uh, was when it was economic. Um, Socially, um, we did have those issues, but anytime there was a 
uh, financial uprising with Black Wall Street. Anytime there was a change in how money was going to be used with different organizations, uh, did I mean anytime people don't understand Martin Luther King was killed as soon as he started talking about getting money uh, for their problems. Uh, you know, similar to uh, uh, Mega Everett, same thing. And when they were going for the funding to get uh, things going for the black community, that's when the problem started. I mean, it, it really and we have, so everybody's become poor over the last few decades. However, like I said, the community has a flu. And on top of that, uh, you sort of see the, however, the black is not down and out. We're not, you know, just floundering, dying. We are pushing forward. The problem is that when you present these issues to the broader community who gets funding from, like I said, like corporations, uh, you sort of get pushed, pushed to the side and you're like, no, you, the money aspect of it. No, we're not giving you money to solve your problems. Even though it's the only thing that does it. All of the, uh, virtue signaling, like you said, all of the, uh, you know, I, I was in LA, so I saw in Hollywood where every every single actor was like, "Yeah, I'm with the black community. We love everything you're doing." Blah blah. blah. And then when you say, "All right, so let's affect some real change and and use our money to do this," it's always a stopgap right there. So mm -hmm. I think that's that's been the issue that we've seen. And I'm not a person who likes asking for much, and I think that's what a lot of our so-called black leaders have done. Been asking the government for reparations. They've been asking people for donations. They've been asking for business investment. I'm done with that. Let's take out, let's take control, invest in Bitcoin, move to a system where network effect will push our value higher in the future. And then you won't walk around asking and hoping that we have something for the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. It's uh, going back to MLK. Um, uh, a lot of people don't realize how dark the system is and, and how, um, targeted it is and and as soon as you actually try and rock the boat and create change you get undercut um so one of the things that isn't commonly known uh is that the u.s government was found complicit in the murder of mlk in court like in a court they were found complicit and and i think that's a really really important thing okay so like you talked a little bit about you know the black community has been asking the government for a very long time and there's a lot of energy uh thrown at the government demanding change um when you frame things in the perspective of like this is what our government has done i think it changes the uh um viewpoint of a lot of people of like this isn't an institution that really has the best interests of everybody it's it's an institution that is built and the same thing with the banking structure like it's it instant these are institutions which are built to protect themselves um so uh that's i think one of the most powerful things about bitcoin is it just limits the power of these institutions and really like it I mean, we talked about inflation. If you have a money that isn't just constantly debased, if the wealth isn't sucked out of you, um, it's really empowering. 
you're able to stand on your own two feet to a certain extent. Um, you have bargaining power. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like uh, in, in our system that we're living today, our political system, money is having a political voice. If you don't have money, you don't really have a voice. So like just very basic right. stuff. Like you look at the difference between like the justice system, for example. So like uh, it, it is just like so screwed up. Like, you know, you, somebody gets arrested, like a black person gets arrested for marijuana versus like a white person gets arrested for marijuana. Like there's the, the justice system is like so uh, hypocritical, like one with the, the sentencing by the judges and then two, like, you know, with the bail, um, it's, it's really, really silly. Um, and it's tragic, like the imp impacts it's had on our communities, like, um, oh man, Absolutely. It, it really kind of yeah, pisses I, me off. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you there, it's, it's not just the justice system, we've seen it in different sectors where the disparity, um, and, and this is one thing I want to say too, is that that disparity uh, between black and, and white communities, it hurts all of us, uh, essentially, because that's, that's the one thing I always, you know, my friends that are white, they always agree with me there is that there are people who are messing it up for all of us by trying to discriminate against one group. It's like, no, no, it's, the justice system is messed up. Um, the, you know, social breakdown of how people communicate, especially during political times is, is all but gone. I don't even know what's going on right now. We don't have a president. I don't know what's going on in our country, <laughs> but uh, discourse has sort of broken down. You can't really have a nuanced discussion anymore. Either blue, go red, or as I describe it, you, you either crip or blood. And like all of a sudden everybody's in a gang and everybody's fighting each other now. It's not even a, there is no middle. So uh, I'm wishing there that this just happened and we need more people who can think along more lines instead of just seeing headlines and sort of making decisions that way, which I think our politicians have done for quite some time now. Awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Um, so you're a person that's rocking the boat and presenting a narrative that is very disruptive. Is, is that something, do you ever feel fear around doing that? Or have you had any uh, kind of like negative intimidation directed towards you? No, not no far. And that may be the most surprising thing. Um, you know, I told a few friends about the book idea right when I was finishing it. And, um, you know, I sort of joked with them that uh, I'm pretty sure somebody's going to come out and say, and try and be funny and be like, well, what if I wrote Bitcoin in white America? Or what if I wrote uh, Bitcoin in something else in America? And that has happened, like on Twitter, just people tweeting, but nothing serious. And, uh, you know, the, the pushback, the only pushback I've sort of gotten was from people who didn't believe in Bitcoin. They didn't really think that the solution I provided was, was incorrect. They just were like, well, I just don't know about Bitcoin because I don't understand it. And I was telling, you know, most of the people on the book tour, people that I could so educate, um, it took me two years to even say Bitcoin in public. I, I studied for a long time, saw some market cycles. So it's not like you're going to learn this overnight. And um, for people that need a reference point, imagine saying, hey, I learned about stocks. I know everything there is to know about stocks in two months. And it's like, well, you sound ludicrous. You sound crazy saying that. Bitcoin is even broader than that. So... You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's a lot to learn and nobody's, uh, in my opinion, a pure expert because it's, it changes so much. So, uh, yeah, 
that's one of the good things about the space as well. Um, it changes so much, you know, it's always exciting. But yeah, whenever you have those those things in place, uh, a lot of times uh, learning about stocks, learning about big, learning about anything in general, it takes some time. Trust me. And uh, we'll get there. Yeah. Do you think there will be a point where there's a battle between the legacy financial system and uh, kind of these emerging disruptive technologies? Um, yes, we're getting close to it now. <laughs> um, I believe we're maybe a step or two away. Um, the CBDC fight is going to be interesting. I think what's going to happen is China's already introducing their CBDCs. They're going to force feed them on their citizens as a better way to spend money. Um, however, I think it'll be initially like, hey, CBDCs versus Bitcoin, but it doesn't really have anything to do with Bitcoin. Um, and I think at some point, Bitcoin will be a reserve currency for a country and it'll take off from there. And uh, CBDCs will be what people spend. Bitcoin will be what people save. And they'll work alongside each other in the future. But that initial fight, I think, will happen just confusion-wise. People getting on PayPal trying to buy Bitcoin and they're like, oh, well, I got Bitcoin now. And you're like, oh, but you can't move it off. And then people are like, oh, well, this is not, you know, like, why would I have this? So I think that that time will come, but <clears throat> um, I'll be prepared. And I know others are to try and educate others. Yeah. Yeah. PayPal's decision and how they're facilitating uh, Bitcoin, I don't, I don't even know what to call it, is, is, has been really odd. I find it really strange. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, they, they say that merchants can accept it via PayPal. Is it, are they actually receiving Bitcoin or is it just like in their ecosystem? I, I feel like it's just, yeah, I feel like it's like if somebody sees something and they say they accept Bitcoin, you pay with it, but it's converted to dollars instantly mm -hmm. or, you know, something along those lines. Either way, you can't control your private keys. So PayPal is dead to me as soon as they said that. Uh, you know, yeah. so as far as the Bitcoin aspect, if you can't control your keys, there's, you don't own Bitcoin, you have a Bitcoin IOU. And we've seen how that's worked out with fractional reserve and with, uh, with other <laughs> financial practices. So if you don't really own, if you don't own the keys, you don't own Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how companies decisions to practice like that impacts them. And if it's going to backfire, if, uh, companies like Square are going to have a lot more success. And yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of people that have bought Bitcoin on or other cryptocurrencies on Robinhood, which is like the same exact idea of just the IOU. Um, and there's uh, oftentimes they're like no, no coiners that are kind of surprised when I tell them that it's not real, that um, yeah. they don't yeah. understand. They'll tell you, I bought Bitcoin. You're like, no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something I've been trying to tell people over and over again is if, if it's in the bank, it's not yours. Um, and we, we just, we've seen that so many times in history. Uh, I mean, capital controls are really scary. <laughs> They're really, really scary. Um, Absolutely. I mean, if you remember when COVID first started that time period uh, where Banks were closed and you couldn't get but a certain amount out of ATMs and they like decreased even more. Then you had to, now I think you have to set up uh, appointments just to go inside to take out a certain amount of money. So it's already happening. Uh, I think that was just a catalyst. And um, I, I'm not surprised. We've seen this ATM shut down. We've seen, I mean, they had a flash mess up with Bank of America where everybody's account read zero uh, when they woke up. So 
it, I mean, these things to me are, are not uh, mistakes. I'll just say I've been on this earth long enough to know that uh, coincidences are very far and few between. And this is sort of coordinated at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think COVID has been kind of a convenient excuse for a lot of these uh, different companies to really accelerate plans that they already had. Um, yeah. And it, it, it was, it's been pretty apparent that they want to get rid of cash. Um, and yeah. that's, I mean, that's the thing that's so crazy about all of this is because I, I, I feel like with in the talks about CBDCs um, and for anybody that's listening that doesn't know what we're talking about, we're talking about central bank digital currencies, um, which are kind of like the central bank stable coins version of the dollar, but um, or whatever the local currency is. But uh, I, unless people can self-custody and there's like a distributed ledger that can't be fudged the the system's like the exact same as it is. And we're just giving more and more control to these institutions. So like, you know, if you're concerned about social justice, like, so in the past, like you look at what happened with MLK um, or Malcolm X or, you know, any of these uh, leaders that were like targeted by the FBI, harassed by law enforcement, beat up, what they can do in the current system is just, completely take any um they can just take the wind out of the sails like of an organization that they don't like or a person that they don't like by just like shutting down their bank accounts um or um with the digital currency they can just like confiscate it where you know with cash you can't do that so that at least like you know with civil rights um people in the past had a little bit more power and control and that's i mean one of the things you said so there's this this attitude that people have um, uh, where there's kind of like a bystander effect when there's a community that's different from them where they, you know, will stand by and watch um, bad things happen to them. Uh, and one of the things that you said, and I think the interview with Peter McCormick was that um, if they're not coming for your community yet, you're next. Um, so this is something that we all need to be concerned about. Um, and I think, unfortunately, like that's an attitude that we like aren't concerned for our neighbors, you know, to the extent that we need to be. Um, and we have these dividing lines uh, that just aren't real or like meaningful just because people are different than us. Um, and it's yeah. really, really dangerous. Um, so do you, so how do you how do you see the next couple of years looking for our country? Uh, so depends on the presidential race, because right now we don't we don't know. Uh, but for the next few years of our country, I feel like we're in the bread and circuses era of the Roman Empire, where uh, we're basically everybody has an iPhone. Everybody has, you know, all of this, um, you know, material stuff makes them feel good, keeps them busy, keeps them occupied. Everybody's watching Netflix and Hulu. Nobody's really paying attention to things. Um, I think there is some sort of awakening coming. I don't know if it will be something catastrophic. It won't, I don't think it'll be zombie land and all that. What I think it, it will be a shock to the system that will sort of wake people up out of the slumber, which has started already. I think the COVID and then the fact that all these people lost jobs 
And then the fact that they're giving out stimulus checks and then they're like, well, no stimulus check. Now what are you going to do? People are like, hold up. There, something's got to change here. So I think that moment is getting closer and closer. Um, so in the next few years, I feel like the U.S. will either change drastically to where we have uh, some sort of tech-based or maybe even Bitcoin-based politician leading where we are focused on that. Or um, the U.S. will not be as strong as before, and you'll see a lot of exits from companies that are Bitcoin and crypto-based because they have the money to do it, and U.S. regulation kills it. So um, if I had to make a prediction, I think, uh, yeah, in a few years, we'll see a drastic change. I don't know exactly how it will happen, but a drastic change economically as well as socially uh, in this country uh, because 2020 has shown um, it's, it's pretty close and is, is well needed. Yeah, it's just a big house of cards. So... If the U.S. Uh, has some pretty hostile regulations against Bitcoin, do you see yourself moving out of the country? I've thought about it. Um, however, I do like the strides that have been taken in places like Wyoming, um, where you have Caitlin Long pushing with uh, yeah. a lot of the, the legislation, as well as um, uh, Loomis, I, I believe it's her, her last name, was just elected House of Reps. She's had Bitcoin since 2013. We have people like that on our side now where they're hardened politicians, but they believe that Bitcoin is the future. So um, if I had to, quote unquote, leave, I think Wyoming's a good spot. Um, I have thought about leaving the country. Uh, I write about that in the new book where uh, as black Americans, a lot of times something revolutionary pushes you to a point where you can't stay here. Um, and if that it happens, then here are some some examples of where you could go where Bitcoin is still prominent. So that, that has crossed my mind. Um, but I've, I've been thinking about that even before Bitcoin, uh, just because uh, I'm a history buff. I love history and just seeing the pattern of where we're going. It's like, geez, we're literally following mm -hmm. the script of how the Roman Empire fell and how other, the, the Mongolian Empire, how all these empires have failed. And we're uh, the youngest of these empires to that point. You know what I mean? So it's like, Jesus Christ, we're getting to this point where it's unbearable. So, um, yeah, I've thought about it. What, what countries have you looked at? Um, the, the biggest ones I've, I've looked at or the biggest, uh, I'm most likely to go to Belize, uh, I've looked, yeah. at, um, <laughs> I've looked at, uh, in South Africa, uh, just got a few friends there. So that would be pretty good. Looked at different African nations like Kenya, which is going crazy with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. Also Ghana uh, is up there. So, uh, those would probably be my top ones, but, uh, yeah, Belize and, and, um, uh, Dominican Republic have some friends down there as well who have, who like that community as well. Yeah. I mean, Africa, I need to get over there. Um, it's just such a beautiful continent and it's so diverse and huge and mm -hmm. awesome. Um, Absolutely. And has so much potential too. I mean, I, I think if, if they are able to, I mean, just that I, I could see them, that, that continent being like the new Europe um, where it gains yeah. dominance over the world and is a major shift. And it would be kind of refreshing to see that because it's a, just a region that's just been devastated by imperialism. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's just like, you look at countries like the democratic Republic of Congo and what's happened there and what's continuing to happen there. Like there's just, yeah. they, they, yeah, there's so much wealth that could be created, um, and uh, uh, I'd love to see that happen. Um, 
Yeah, Belize. Yeah, John McAfee. He was in Belize for a little bit. It's <laughs> a yeah, good old McAfee. Any any time I hear about Belize, I think of him down there doing all of his crazy stuff. You could you yeah, could start your own uh, all the stuff in the documentary. <laughs> yeah, that documentary is insane. Yeah, I was really excited to uh, see him eat his manhood on TV, but apparently that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Yeah, we interviewed him on our show. We talked to him about it, and we kind of got the we got the the idea. He wasn't really going to go through with it, but it was funny when he said it. Yeah. Yeah, what was his prediction? It was like a million dollars by a million dollars uh, by twenty twenty, yeah, or by, 20, oh, by the end of twenty. Well, yeah, twenty twenty one, something like I, that. I, yeah, yeah, it might have been like the beginning of twenty twenty one. Yeah, so I mean, won't see it, but uh, at the same time, you know, I wasn't really expecting it. I just thought it was funny when he said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> great. He's he's one of the. So yeah, okay, so there's been um, like a lot of uh, different characters in Bitcoin that have had their rise and fall. Um, uh, that's one of the things that's really interesting about it is like Bitcoin uh, is kind of on a trajectory and people can have opinions about it. Um, what do you see for like the future of Bitcoin as a technology in and of itself? Um, so I see big Bitcoin becoming the gold standard as far as storage of value. And as the community grows, I think we'll get, um, a sort of a civil war. And some people may be surprised that I've, I'm saying that, but what I've, I've already started to see it is that when the price of Bitcoin goes ballistic, you have people that have already been here and then you have a lot of institutional people that show up like, Hey, I'm a. I, I'm a veteran. I'm very proficient in this field, and I just want to transfer it over to Bitcoin. And Bitcoin people are like, no, no banker or sorry, um, institutional finance guy, stay over there. You know what I mean? So I think that civil war is coming, but I think it's good because we need a marketplace of ideas, as well as sort of that clash to to go ahead and get it out the way, and then uh, establish what I believe is going to be a global uh, financial economy based on Bitcoin. So. I think that's that's what we'll see coming up. Uh, we already sort of have infighting, like <laughs> when people get bored in the Bitcoin community, uh, they go back and forth. But it's great. At the end of it, everybody gets their ideas out and nobody dies. It's way better than war. And I think that's the difference in how Bitcoin community operates versus the current financial system. If people have money problems, they go in. I mean, reading the, uh, the book, The uh, Economic Hitman, seeing how they go into countries that they want to debase their value, they, they can do it at any moment. And with Bitcoin, you can't just take away somebody's value just because you don't like them. So I think uh, that's, that's where we're headed, where we'll have that fighting, but because the value is still there, uh, it'll actually help long-term. So are you predicting another hard fork? Um, I would say there will be an attempt in the next five to 10 years, somebody will try to do some sort of hard fork with a better Bitcoin. Um, but that's only going to become as a result of Bitcoin's price going crazy. I think Bitcoin, let's say it goes to six figures in the next three years. There's going to be people like, all right, it's too much money to be made with this. I'm going to fork off and try and market it as the new, whatever. And we see Bitcoin cash and Bitcoin SV still have value somehow. So it's not as if, <laughs> it's not as if people, somebody, somebody wouldn't make money off of it. It would only take maybe one, uh, one seasoned Bitcoin veteran to just kind of step out and say, well, I'm going to make the real Bitcoin and 
you know, have a few little followers and maybe get a few million in liquidity. So I think I think we may see that. But uh, but as far as Bitcoin itself, Bitcoin is Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the really powerful things about it is it's something that's determined entirely by the free market. And uh, that's kind of what the result of the last hard fork debacle, major hard fork debacle with like Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV is that BTC was was and is the winner. I mean, some people might disagree, but it's it's pretty apparent. <laughs> yeah. um, Calvin Air, Calvin Air might have something to say about that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, the politics of for like somebody coming into Bitcoin for the first time, it's probably a good idea, especially on Twitter, to keep your head down a little bit and just like observe because yeah. there are some pretty uh, strong feelings. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, this has been a fun interview. Uh, what do you, what are you most excited about in the future? I know you just had a kid, so congratulations. Um, thank you, thank you. Yep. Um, very excited about having a Bitcoin baby, and um, that's really what I'm looking forward to in the future. Uh, just the next generation, because I think I've hit a point in my Bitcoin, I guess, career, you could call it whatever, where I've realized that talking to adults, talking to people my age and older, it only goes so far. Um, if they don't know about it, there's, in my opinion, there's enough information to find out at this point. Uh, we have plenty of YouTube, plenty of podcasts, plenty of information out there. I'm pivoting towards the kids and not only because I have a daughter, um, I'm pivoting towards uh, having a Bitcoin summer camp, uh, having Bitcoin classes mm -hmm. at colleges and high schools, because I want to create the next army of Bitcoin and blockchain professionals and crypto people uh, early. Because in my opinion, every industry, like let's say when the tech boom happened in the late 90s, there was some 10 year old kid in 94 who's eating everybody's lunch right now. And his name's Zuckerberg. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what I mean. You know what I mean? So right now I want to, I want to meet that kid now because 10 years from now, when this is the standard, I want to either educate or get them to the point where we can have sort of a, that streamline of getting them there. So that's, that's more of where my focus is uh, for the future uh, on the kids. And um, I, you know, I'm on the board for a company, Innovative Learning, a 501c3 nonprofit, uh, which literally is an after school and summer camp for kids. And that's the next goal is to get Bitcoin to as many people as possible, uh, mostly kids. That's awesome. So is the innovative learning, is that like an in-person teaching or are you guys doing online stuff now too? Yep. It, it started as in-person um, when the, it was first formed. Of course, COVID changed that. So now we've uh, transitioned to remote uh, learning, uh, which is great simply because you can reach more children with it. Uh, mm -hmm. The Bitcoin summer camp I planned was in person. Um, but now that it is remote, we can reach kids all around the country because there's not many uh, summer camps that, that offered that. So, uh, yes, innovative learning is online and uh, digital, remote. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting, like the disconnect with the older generations around the idea of Bitcoin. I think, mm -hmm. I think it's kind of one of these situations where um, uh, there's a bunch of people stuck thinking that the Earth is flat. You know, hearing <laughs> that it's not, and <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I, I just think that that's the 
So like from an economic standpoint, would you consider yourself of the Austrian persuasion or uh, where do you stand? Yeah, I would, I would say I'm more of the Austrian persuasion. And, uh, you know, you know, a lot of the economic theories that have come forth, I think Bitcoin has pieces of them, uh, but it's its own theory in itself mm-hmm. simply because it pulls from so many different facets. You got physics, you got history, you got network effect, you got the Lindy effect. I mean, it's so many things it pulls from. So it's sort of its own economic theory, but mostly Austrian. Yeah. Yeah. We, we might have to coin a new term to describe it if there isn't one already. Bitcoin. Yeah. Economics. I mean, yeah, I was going to say Bitcoin economics, it, as it grows, there'll be more to it because I don't think we have every financial product that's available in Bitcoin that can be available. I mean, we're still working on it. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing that in uh, college courses uh, in, the, in the next decade, Bitcoin economics. How does how does a open source system work um, with uh, scarcity? Yeah, well, I was actually invited to speak at a college in Loyola on Bitcoin economics. And it was really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of surprised uh, at like how engaged and knowledgeable the students were on Bitcoin, because most of the people I run into have no clue what I'm talking about. I, I don't know if that's just specific to Tucson, because we're the last to do anything cool with technology. Um, but it drives me insane. You know, I, I, I think I think that might be I think that might be nationwide, brother, because that's why I pivoted towards college kids and high school students. Because if you're under the age of eleven, you've never lived in a world without Bitcoin. So most of these college kids are like 18, 19. They were kids when Bitcoin boomed. They may have first heard it, but they grew up in a video game era where you had tokens, you had digital money, everything is on the on the phone anyway. So if you say there's money you could spend with your phone, they're not oh, hold up. So now it's something else I got to learn. That's what most older people do. They're like, oh, I got to learn something else on the phone. You know, most younger people can pick it up like that. So that's why I'm pivoting that way because they get it a lot easier and they accept it because they see what's going on around them. It's not as if we have some sort of great economy to share with them now. They're like, oh yeah, it's a difference in what we have now. Perfect. I'll try that. So you're right. I think, uh, cause I've had some talks with college students. They're really on point. They get it. Uh, and that's sort of all you really need to understand Bitcoin long term. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the next wave of influencers are going to be on TikTok. I mean, uh, it was pretty wild watching the, the Dogecoin pump and dump uh, recently uh, that was led by TikTok, yeah. like just the amount of energy and power. <laughs> um, and what's crazy about like social media platforms like that, I mean, you use Facebook as an example is how quickly they can um, come up and just like dominate a market. Um, And then also like you look at a lot of these companies like Blockbuster, um, how quickly they can like die and leave the market. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's really hard to predict the future because things are just moving so, so quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us could have predicted uh what what's happened with bitcoin in 2020 with like micro strategy dumping millions into it and yeah mm-hmm. have you had the chance to talk to michael Saylor yet i podcast? have not um i have had a uh an invite from someone for a round table where Saylor may be a part of it but i have not spoken to him myself would love to uh in the, the near future hopefully but uh 
Yeah, his move. That's why I hate when people say they're Bitcoin experts or you know industry experts because I'm like nobody predicted that shit. Don't yeah. even <laughs> don't even try to play like you know. And a lot of what happens is new. It's brand new. Um, so even if you know what you're talking about, how the market will move and moves like that, can't predict it because who knows uh, who will come out next if Bezos will come out and say, yeah, by the way, we've accumulated half a you know half a trillion dollars worth, whatever. So. Yeah, you're right. I think I think that moves the needle a lot uh, with people like Michael Saylor. Probably yeah. the biggest news story of the year. Yeah, I mean it's that's going to be one for the history books. That's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's been Twitter's been just relentless and harassing people that try and come up with these models of when to buy and <laughs> sell, and it's it's. Mm-hmm. It's been entertaining, but I would hate to be on the receiving end of that. I would just lose my mind. So. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that coming a long time ago. I when I first was on Twitter, maybe 2014, 15, I used to put out graphs like stuff I was trading, things I was looking at. I maybe did that three months, and I was like, I'm done. Only because not because I was getting killed. I was doing fine. It was just I would see how other people would get in. Oh, you gave the wrong call and I lost money and you suck and blah, blah, blah. And they would get a following and then that whole person's account would be gone. I was like, well, Bitcoin's more than that. So let me not focus in on that because you're right. Some people are relentless. You lose some people money and there are some famous accounts that have lost people a lot of money <laughs> uh, with trading. Yeah. Yeah. Trading is uh, super dangerous. And one of the craziest things that has happened in 2020 is the uh, options market has uh, grown larger than the spot market for stocks mm-hmm. um, which is just terrifying i mean that's the same yeah yeah um so like somebody is brand if somebody's brand new to bitcoin they get a coinbase account which i wouldn't suggest doing there's lots of better places to go but um they get a coinbase account and they're looking at like the 20 or 30 different cryptocurrencies that are on there bitcoin's trading around fifteen thousand today um and then x coin is at like five cents um what would what would you suggest for people to do in that type of situation Uh, i would say for one if you've never invested in cryptocurrency always start with bitcoin uh, and then work your way up from there because to me that is the reserve asset that's the granddaddy the store of value that's where everything basically will get their value from and then other coins take more time to research research the theme maybe see a market cycle before you invest because Mm -hmm. Some people think, well, it's five cents, so I can buy more of it. And I always tell them, I was like, technically, yes, you could, maybe. But the amount of money lost on the drawdowns on a lot of these coins uh, after their pump uh, has left a lot of people penniless and, you know, basically out of the crypto market for good. Um, I think Ripple was probably the biggest catalyst of that uh, in 2016, 17. I remember half of my conversations were trying to convince people Bitcoin is better than Ripple. People were like, no, well, Ripple's 12 cent. It's 15 cent. I could make blah, blah, blah. And, and, and like I said, technically they could have. When it went to $3, if they were able to sell it, fine. The problem is the small things that people like you and I know is could they access an exchange when this pump happened? Probably no. Could they sell a certain amount at that point? Probably no. Could they even uh, withdraw the amount that they made if they traded? Probably no. Uh, rise up and draw down was so quick. Um, a lot of people can't catch that. And if you're not an experienced trader, if you fall asleep for, for six hours, you might wake up and all your money's gone. And that happened to a lot of people. 
So Bitcoin, what I tell people is dollar cost averaging over time, if you're not a trader, is the best strategy. And saving as a store of value is the best way for 90, 95% of people to go. Not many people are going to make money trading. So don't stress yourself. And you can basically <clears throat> use it as a store of value long term. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty good advice. Um, it's important for people to do their own research. And, you know, I, I think with how crazy of a paradigm shift Bitcoin is, part of the research would be, probably be putting like a very small amount of money in and playing around with it, sending it yep. from place to place. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, even like I had a guy asking me about Ethereum today and uh, um, I advised him against it uh, for uh, multiple reasons. Um, but there's so much uh, bad marketing um, in the investment world in general. I mean, people like to talk bad on cryptocurrency specifically, but you know, the traditional finance world is just as crazy and just full of Ponzi-nomics of people like Pierre Richard was on the show. And one of the things he said that was really interesting was the, the idea that um, normal people have no business owning stock and all these big companies. Um, and they instead should invest in themselves and invest in their own businesses. And, and, and that's one of the things that Bitcoin allows you to do is it's money. Whereas I don't consider Ethereum money. It's like a speculative investment. Um, uh, and uh, if, you, if you want to gamble, fine. That's what I tell you. I mean, it, it's fine. But I, I always remind people that every coin that you invest in outside of Bitcoin has a central uh, central team, a central uh, designer. And at any point, it, they could be shut down. Vitalik tomorrow could get some sort of, I don't know, SEC injunction. And they could say Ethereum. Something could happen. Even the way that it works, uh, Ethereum transactions could get stuck uh, with high, fee, super high fees. Too much, too much bad can go wrong. Whereas Bitcoin, you are self-sovereign, and there is no central person to go after. Um, so it still came to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the, and that's like a lot of people don't understand the importance of decentralization. Um, and that's a good spot to, to learn about too, is the importance of decentralization. The more you learn about Bitcoin, the more you'll learn about money, the history of money and like the differences between Bitcoin and traditional money. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, in your book, you do a good job of outlining what Bitcoin is. Um, so that's definitely a good place to start. You break it down in a way that's not super technical. Um, and is pretty palatable to the average person getting into it. Um, where, so you have your book, your new book open for pre-order right now. Um, where, where's the best places to uh, like access um, the stuff that you're doing? Uh, the best place to access it is uh, three places, bitcoinandblackamerica.com uh, for books. Uh, the first and second edition and merch coming soon. Um, mm. The audio version and the digital version coming uh, soon as well on the website. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. Twitter is the best place to contact me if you want to chat or if you want to, to uh, you know, maybe talk about something in industry. Twitter at Bitcoin Zay. And uh, lastly, on YouTube, the Gentleman of Crypto daily at 1 p.m. Eastern. 
We do news and updates. Uh, we're at episode 604. We've been around since 2017, uh, been through bear and bull market. So trust me, we have some <laughs> some great followers there who have been been there through it all. So those are the three best ways to uh, find me and contact me. Yeah. You guys got some strong hands. Oh yeah, yeah, we've, been, we've seen a lot since 2013. So, uh, so once we started the show, it was just kind of overflow from there. Can you buy the book with Bitcoin? Uh, yes. Um, the plugin is actually being worked on right now, but by November 11th, when the book ships, yes, you'll be able to buy with cool. Bitcoin. Just like the first edition, you were able to buy with Bitcoin as well. Awesome. And merchandise, everything will be on there uh, through BTC Pay Server. Shout out to I'm, you. I'm really, yes. Yes. BTC Pay Server is <laughs> where it's at. Way better than the other stuff. Um, yeah, I'm excited. To, I'm excited to read your new book and really appreciate you coming on and having this conversation. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on there. Definitely a great conversation. Thanks. That was a really fun conversation. I felt like I, I learned a lot. Just, It's so much fun to have these conversations and just to be able to ask questions and learn from people that have different experiences and really appreciate Isaiah's time coming on because I think he has a really good perspective on things um, that is unique and different from a lot of what's being talked about in the mainstream and you know one of the things I found really hopeful was that he gave uh, real concrete ways that we can better our community and those are always things that I am searching for because um, there's always going to be issues in our society and uh a lot of times there are issues that we can address and solve as a community. Um, and using Bitcoin is a way to empower people in a way that hasn't been possible uh, before. it. So yeah, he just did a great job of explaining it. And if you're not sold on his book yet, I don't know what you're doing. I mean, it, it's a really good book. It's uh, definitely, definitely a must read. Um, but, and I really look forward to second edition. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I was just really grateful to have like a nuanced conversation about the issue of race because there's so much tension around it. Um, and yet it's such an important conversation. And I think it's one like as uh, in being white that um, it's important not to shy away from, you know, and hopefully I didn't say anything uh, ignorant or um, hurtful um because that's not my intent you know my intent is to learn and to be helpful um and to really like address the issues in our society that are really uh hurting people which is it just sucks um but yeah if you like what i'm doing with the podcast i'd love for you to uh support me on uh patreon uh you could support me for as little as a dollar a month. I mean, ultimately what I want to do is just create a community. I want to see people adopt Bitcoin. I want to see people's lives change as they learn about money and get their finances together. We just have so many issues. Our, our monetary system is broken. Um, and it looks like people living paycheck to paycheck. And, uh, you know, it, the incentive structure is built that way. You know, they want you spending all your money. They don't want you saving. And the way they convince people to do that whether they know it or not is just by constantly devaluing their money and so if you're not making your money work for you you're getting poorer and poorer um and yeah i'm 
not trying to give anybody financial advice and just trying to educate people on what money is and you know what potential options are but yeah your support really goes a long way to helping me continue to do this podcast um some of the best ways to support like you is just just join the community um you know shoot, shoot me a message on twitter uh at the tucson bitcoin podcast uh like comment subscribe do all that stuff leave a review if you're listening to the audio it is really really helpful and uh yeah i'm happy to answer questions uh we're in a bull market so a lot of new people are going to be flooding in the space who don't know anything and like please do your research and don't get scammed it just sucks when people get scammed and then they have a bad taste in their mouth um don't want people losing money on bad investments um and uh, making uneducated decisions thanks for stopping by